Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello, hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, the UCARE podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm here at the UCARE Urticaria Center of Reference and Excellence in Berlin at Charité. And I have with me my friend, colleague Murad. Murad, welcome back, Marava. Welcome, Marcus. How are you? I'm very well. And um, uh, in part because I get to talk to you again. You were on this program before and uh, we had a really great episode. I would encourage all of our listeners to go back to uh, when we last talked. It was some time ago and um, the idea came up for us to get together again and talk about biomarkers in chronic spontaneous urticaria, more specifically IgE. I love IgE and I know you do too because it can teach us so many things. Murat, uh, the last guideline version recommends IgE measurements to happen in patients who are in specialist care, chronic spontaneous urticaria. Um, how important is that recommendation from your point of view? Before doing that, I believe there are some senior listeners and also there might be some junior listeners uh, to this podcast. Please do not use IgE very much. I know it's sometimes used unnecessarily and we never use it as a diagnostic tool. We generally use it as a predictive for the treatment of urticaria or other diseases. But it sometimes really confuses us and uh, in a patient with high IgE, it's sometimes not easy for us to diagnose or uh, solve the situation. Please use it wisely. It's not a diagnostic tool. When we use it in urticaria, we mostly use it as a predictive parameter, especially in the prediction of omerzumab treatment response, because we know that once with high Ig has high response rates to omerzumab and vice versa. Uh, and that's all I believe is a good prognostic parameter instead of a diagnostic tool. And also I'm not sure about using it in terms of endotyping the disease, because we know in patients with autoimmune urticaria, in type 2b urticaria, total Ig levels are low. And also, once with type 1 autoallergic urticaria, total Ig levels are high. But this total Ig, we should assume that it's not a single Ig, select specific Ig. It's a pool of polyclonal Igs, and they do not have to be autoantigenic at the same time. So please use it wisely. <laughs> that's, all I say about IG. that's a lot of points, Murat, and I'd like to uh, uh, revisit some of them. So it, I completely agree with you, and I think it's a good idea to start um, conversations about IgE and CSU by saying CSU is not an allergic disease, and therefore looking at IgE that is specific to autoallergens uh, is useful, but looking for IgE to exoallergens, the things we eat, we breathe uh, or put on our skin, um, is not in most cases helpful in diagnosing uh, the underlying cause of, of CSU. Thank you for making that point. I absolutely agree. And then you said two interesting things. Um, we look at total IgE levels as a marker or predictor of treatment response linked to the endotypes that we currently know where autoallergic 
CSU tends to come with high levels of IgE and a good response to omalizumab, and low IgE tends to come with poor or slow responses to omalizumab and autoimmune CSU. Uh, Murat, what is low IgE to you? When do your when when do you start to worry about uh, the treatment you are going to start? I mostly worry about if the patient's total IgE level is below 40. I know some studies say 100, but it's below 40. I know this patient probably will not respond to my omalizumab treatment, but uh, we should follow the guideline. We should at least try omalizumab. I know that too. Uh, another question is that why total Ig is diminished in these patients? No one knows that, we know. We only think that we know that we don't know what's happening. But maybe I have some hypothesis about this. Uh, first, we know in the body, if there is two ways that some uh, marker decrease. First, it might be due to low production or it might be due to increased consumption. Mm -hmm. I think that the first one might be might explain the situation in type 2B urticaria because we know that uh, in non-responders omalizumab after treatment for one month, they cannot double their total IG levels, especially once in type 2B urticaria. So it makes me think that is it something wrong with this patient's production capacity of total IgE instead of increased consumption? Because our body mostly try to compensate if something is consumed too much. Mm -hmm. And it's not the case for these patients. Mm -hmm. Their total Ig mostly diminished, and we also don't know which comes first: low total Ig or the urticaria. That's and also, good. we also don't know if it will recover after the spontaneous remission. Very good points, Murad. Absolutely, and and again, a lot of good points you make. So let's revisit some of them. Um, I agree with you about the 40. That's when one eyebrow goes up uh, of mine. I, you know, when it goes to 30, two eyebrows go up. And when I have single digit IgE levels like five or eight, <laughs> oy, 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 then I, I really worry about uh, the treatment response in these patients. Actually, not just uh, in terms of omalizumab, because it's also a predictor mm -hmm. of uh, poor response to antihistamine. So I'm, I'm completely on board with your take here and your work and other work has shown that that uh, these levels of IgE below 40, below 30, or very, very low, uh, can uh, are linked to autoimmune CSU and therefore also poor treatment responses. And then you said something really interesting, and we do not know why the IgE is low. And I want to stress that point because I see that as a big unmet need and a job for the urticariologist community. We have to figure out why this is so, and uh, thank you for offering your explanation. I'm going to challenge you on that explanation oh. because <laughs> your work showed, as you said, that, um, and I think this was done with Rajiv back in the time, that if you treat patients with, uh, with omalizumab, um, uh, in general, the IgE goes up. Uh, and at least the IgE we measure because the half-life of the IgE is prolonged by the omalizumab. And therefore, although this IgE cannot do anything anymore, it is still there and we measure it and, and, uh, and it is elevated. But this is not the case in some patients with CSU, as you said. And it is remarkable that this failure to increase measurable levels of IgE is linked to low IgE. And your explanation, if I got you right, 
is that, well, maybe these patients have a low production rate of IgE. Here's my explanation, Morat. Let me know what you think. I think their IgE is weird. Uh, weird in the sense that omalizumab may not bind uh, really well to this IgE, or it binds and then it lets go because in the end, it is the binding of omalizumab and IgE that uh, is responsible for the prolongation of the half-life. And if that doesn't happen properly, either by, you know, uh, maybe the IgE being a little bit different in these low IgE people, um, uh, and and uh, omalizumab can't really find it or hold on to it, well, then you would have this uh, failure to increase the IgE after you start the treatment. What do you think? Yeah, uh, if I remember not, uh, your team showed that some of the patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria have uh, lipophilic IgE, especially ones with type 1 autoallergic ones, Correct. not the type 2B ones. Yeah. And this lipophilicity probably uh, makes some uh, dissemination on FC epsilon and they stimulate mustard without the antigen exposure, if I'm not wrong. It Correct. Could be the explanation. Correct. Yeah, that's a good explanation for the auto IgE, which is uh, quite different. And as you already said, you know, th these autoallergic CSU patients tend to have higher, um, I mean, not through the roof, high IgE levels, but higher IgE levels low in the, in the, in the hundreds. Although some studies show that it can also be normal, no, anywhere between 40 and uh, 100. And Murad, I think we have to say that this is not black and white. You can have autoimmune CSU patients with normal IgE, um, and you can have autoallergic uh, CSU patients with normal IgE. It's, it, it's a very strong trend. And when you compare these two groups based on more specific markers, then you see that those who have markers, defining markers of type 2B autoimmune CSU, that they have on average, and many of them, uh, low IgE. I wonder what you think about, so it, it sounds to me like you use low IgE like I do. I, I measure it, and when it's low, I suspect autoimmune CSU, and that's good. Everyone can do that. That's the beauty about this marker. You know, everyone has access to, or almost everyone has access to IgE. Certainly, um, more people can measure that as compared to a basophil test, let's say the basophil histamine release assay or the basophil activation test or uh, the uh, immunoassays for these autoantibodies that drive autoimmune CSU. What do you think? Um, are we going to see more basophil testing? Because I, I, or let me start by asking, do you think that the basophil test is more specific for autoimmune CSU? What's your take? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, about your previous uh, explanation, we definitely should use low Ig as a potential marker for type 2B in urticaria, but not should not do the uh, same for the opposite way. Higher Ig does not always mean type 1 autoallergic urticaria because in a recent study from your team again showed that in autoallergic patients there is a high uh, autoimmune patients there is a high chance of having autoallergic urticaria at the same time yeah. but it wasn't the case for the opposite so high uh, total ig does not always mean is solely uh, autoallergic chronic urticaria 
Yeah. And, and what your Buzzerfield actually is, or Buzzerfield tests, unfortunately, I cannot do that. And I know most of the developing countries cannot afford this test, but we should definitely do that. Because there is something also weird about chronic spontaneous urticaria. Because in especially in patients with type 2B endotype, there is basopenia and eosinopenia. And these penias mostly uh, diminish, mostly resolve after spontaneous remission. And we also don't know that. There is one explanation from other diseases because chronic urticaria is not the only disease that uh, Ig type autoantibodies are produced in lupus, in bilirubin pemphigoid, sometimes atopic dermatitis and other rheumatologic and autoimmune diseases. It is possible to detect self IgEs against self antigens like Ig double-stranded DNA in lupus erythematosus. Sure. And also they showed that there is basopenia in these patients and it reflected this activity. And the authors uh, concluded and hypothesized that it is probably that these basophils increased their expression of CCR7 after uh, autoreactive Ig expression and cross-linking. And this probably this increased expression of CCR7 drives these basophils into the lymph nodes or the tissues. Mm -hmm. and maybe this might be the case that we see in chronic urticaria. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, in classical allergic patients, we first saw increased eosinophilia in the blood, right. and this eosinophil goes into tissues, but the eosinophilia does not resolve. But in chronic spontaneous urticaria, it's not the case. We see eosinopenia and increased eosinophil numbers in the tissue. So something drives them into tissue, but they are not compensated by the body. So it means that there is no increased interleukin-5 in the body. Yeah. No, that's a very good point you make. And, you know, I'm convinced, although we are still missing formal proof, that the reason why we see lower numbers of basophils and eosinophils in CSU is that uh, these cells get recruited to the skin. And uh, I think, you know, here's where the circle uh, closes, because we know that autoimmune CSU um, is linked to high disease activity. That means there's lots of wheels and uh, every wheel is one of these places where mast cells recruit eosinophils and basophils. So you could very uh, nicely explain why autoimmune CSU with high disease activity is linked more often to basopenia and uh, eosinopenia. It's a very interesting phenomenon because it leads us to the question, well, what do these basophils and eosinophils do in the skin? Do they contribute to the wheels uh, or the duration of the wheels or the duration of the disease? No, but that's a different topic. Um, Moran, I want to stay focused on, on IgE here. Uh, again, you said something interesting and that is about uh, the, these uh, um, autoreactive IgEs, which I find fascinating. No? How can you be allergic to yourself? Well, CSU patients Why? know <laughs> how, how it is uh, to be allergic to yourself yourself. Um, and so uh, you made reference to a, a very recent study where in, uh, I don't know how many patients it was, it was a sizable number of patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria. Um, we looked at autoallergic uh, markers uh, and autoimmune markers, and we saw that there's actually uh, quite some overlap where um, many patients with autoimmune CSU also have autoallergic um, CSU in the sense that they have IgE to self. But 
this CSU behaves like autoimmune CSU. So it appears to be when you have both the dominant endotype. I think that's very interesting. What do you think about, let me ask you a question first. Uh, I believe, what do you think about, is it possible in the near future that the one, the patients with both endotypes at the same time will increase? Because I think we don't know this phenomenon very much. We mm. know type 1, we know type 2B, but I believe in the near future, we see that the increased percentage of patients with, uh, that have both endotypes at the same time. Yeah. What do you think? I think we have to be ready for this. Uh, we need more studies. And of course, um, it is not so easy to do these studies. I don't know if uh, there are more than a handful of centers on this planet who measure IgG <laughs> against self. We really need a commercial platform where uh, everyone can just say, oh, I'm interested whether my patient has IgE to TPO or to interleukin-24 and order this test and this to be you know, readily available. Then we will, I think, really have a chance to figure out how common this is and how often it overlaps with type 2B autoimmunity. You know, now the speculation is, well, if you have both, um, what... What came first, the autoimmunity or the <laughs> autoallergy? Can can one evolve from the other? And I, I, I really like these questions, and I think uh, that's where we need more research to 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 provide answers. No? Yeah. Especially especially now, Murad, I, I just um, was at a, at a meeting where new treatment options were discussed for chronic spontaneous urticaria, no, and we're looking at um, dupilumab, we're looking at remibrutinib and rilsaprutinib, BTK inhibitors, we're looking at other mechanisms like mast cell silencing, mast cell depletion, um, and uh, many of these mechanisms inter interfere with IgE. You know, dupilumab reduces IgE, Re uh, remibrutinib, rilsaprutinib, Subrutinib, BTK inhibitors, they shut down IgE-mediated signaling. And so I think it is important. Also, if we want to get really good at uh, using the right medication in the right patient, that we become smarter on the role of IgE and uh, how it should be uh, how it should be addressed. And that should lead us to the personalized medicine, I believe. So we should I, use, but markers to do that. I agree with you. I, you know, right now um, we are sort of using in because we lack treatment options. We're sort of using a one-size-fits-all approach, and we know that is not the right way to do it. Um, it's basically trial and error. No, we use antihistamines, and if they fail, we use omalizumab. If it fails, we move on. That's not good medicine, if you want, no? because we know and have known for a long time that patients have chronic spontaneous urticaria for different reasons. So it would be great to provide targeted treatments uh, per endotype and ideally, as you say, per person, real personalized medicine where we have a set of markers and uh, the results would then guide us to the best treatment option for this individual. Yeah, More when it compared to other algorithms, other disease algorithms, other algorithm is really too simple. Yes, know? I agree. Look, I'm not afraid of a complex algorithm. If it <laughs> results in better treatment for patients and faster, faster uh, uh, treatment uh, that actually does something in patients, that's fine. Then um, maybe we'll build an app 
on how to find the best treatment with all these markers. But for now, I think it is important to help these programs that bring new treatment, new targeted treatment to us, and then we will figure out uh, and can already start to do that, which drug is best suited for, for which patient. Uh, Murad, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, CU Tiger a little bit. Uh, I know that you've been talking to Pavel uh, and other who, who are involved in this project. That's a huge project, no? Where we prospectively look at treatment responses in patients uh, who had donated blood a little bit to let us look at these markers. Um, I, I think. No, the UK network has come a long way to be able to do such uh, such studies. No treatment studies, if you want. Well, it's not a per se treatment study. Where we're treating patients and we're monitoring treatment response together with the use of biomarkers. I think that's great. Yeah, it's definitely great because easy to use biomarkers are really important. Everybody can, everybody can use these biomarkers. It's easy to interpret, easy to use. So I definitely support this project and like it. Super. Then we agree, Mora. Yeah. And uh, oh, mamma mia, I'm looking at the time. Unbelievable. Like we, I, Mora, you and I, we could talk for hours. And uh, I'm sure many, but maybe not all listeners have the time and interest to do so. But Mora, <laughs> let's do this again sometime. There's so many topics <laughs> where I would love to chat with you. Uh, I'm not going to let you go. Um, Murat, what's the most exciting thing, if you can talk about it, um, most exciting thing in urticariology that you are currently exploring, maybe already have some results that you want to share? Uh, I know you're working on a lot of different projects. What what gets you excited these days? I believe I shared it with you with a long time before, because neuroimmune interactions currently is excited me a lot about the pathophysiology of chronic urticaria because we should go beyond the classical immunologic pathways and maybe we might focus on this interaction because maybe in the near future instead of type 1 and type 2b type 2b maybe maybe there might be a neuroimmune high urticaria in the near future yeah and i like the pathway and should focus on it but I'm not sure if I can. I know. But I know, Murat, uh, that you love the nerves. And of course, the nerves and the muscle cells are buddies in crime in urticaria. There's a lot of neuropeptides you're interested in and working on. And I, I, I love your work uh, because it points to, well, I, I shouldn't say it points to, but it will give us information on the role of neuropeptides uh, and, of course, mast cells and their expression of the mass-related G-protein coupled receptor X2 are the perfect target. The big <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'll be looking forward to your next paper, to your next story and uh, to our next collaboration and, of course, your participation and um, uh, projects within the UK network. Murat, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much, Farkas, for inviting me and all our uh, audience for listening to us today. Super. Yes, dear audience, this goes to you. Um, we conclude another episode of All Things Urticaria, and we do hope that you go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, including the one that Murad and I did some time ago. And we're looking at the next episodes to record. So if you have an idea, uh, a question that you want us to focus on in one of the future episodes of All Things Urticaria, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. 
do reach out to us. And until we hear each other again, be well, stay healthy. Bye-bye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.